Heavenly Father, as we look at this kind of strange parable, one that is different from others that we read in the Gospels, help us to have insight, help us to be encouraged, help us to learn that we might become more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Perhaps, like me, you have at some point in the past received an email from Dr. Clement Aachen. If you opened the email and began to read it, it would start by telling you that he needs your strictest confidence. But it would also maybe strike you that it was all in capital letters the entire way through and not the best English. And as you read through at least one that I got, Dr. Aachen had come into possession of $21 million. But he couldn't get it out of Nigeria on his own. He needed my help. And if I would just help him transfer this money, he would let me keep 20% of it. That's not bad. But there were a few upfront free fees In order to make this work, I was going to have to transfer some money to him, but it was just a couple hundred dollars. I mean, think of how much I was going to get. This is known as the 419 Nigerian scam. Started back in the 1980s, started in Nigeria, called the 419 because their penal code, 419, forbids this. Here's the basic scam. I'm going to offer you something, and it's quite a bit. But in order to get it, I need a little bit up front. I need you to do something and then you'll get it. And this has cost people hundreds of millions of dollars. Recently, I have realized just how often Trinity Church gets these kinds of emails. When I first started, I remember Patty coming to me and she said, did you order an iPad? Because PayPal is saying we have an iPad. We just got to, you know, do this to get it. I did not order an iPad. And then the next week, did you order an iPhone? And then the next week, did you order a car off the church's funds? Oh, I did that one. Yeah, I was. I, I cannot believe you're going to scam a church. I mean, I'm not sure what the penalty is for that, but it seems like it'd be bad. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I've ever fallen for one of these scams. When I open an email that offers me $21 million and it's all in capital letters and it's bad English, and I'm not going to fall for that. But what if you are falling for an even larger scam? Would you want to know? What if something is being taken from you? What if you are wasting something throughout your life? Would you want to know? If you don't want to know, you should probably head to the parish hall while I talk for the next 20 minutes, because I'm going to talk about it. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 16. It's on page 1491. I'm going to look briefly at this parable, and my goal is to explain the parable, give you the principle behind it, and talk about the ways that we may be getting scammed. Page 1491, 
Luke 16 and verse 1. So Jesus has been telling parables. We looked at one of them last week. He's continuing now, and it specifically says to his disciples. Could be the 12, could be the 70, could be the 120. He's got disciples around him. He's talking to them. He says, there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. You cannot be my manager any longer. So the parable begins with a boss and the manager that he has hired to take care of his possessions is doing a terrible job. He's mismanaging it. So the boss calls him in and says, I want an accounting. I want to know what's going on, and you're not going to be my manager any longer. Your future is to be fired. Here's what the guy does. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. He knows his future, and that's really important for this parable. I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't go out and do manual labor. Maybe he's too old. Maybe he's got some form of physical ailment. But he can't do that. And I'm ashamed to beg. Like, I'm in I'm a bad shape here. I've got to figure this out. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he moves quickly. He moves decisively. He's got a plan. I know I'm going to be fired. Here's what I'm going to do. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Now it's interesting the tact that he takes. So it's one thing to have debt. It's another thing to say out loud just how much debt you actually have. So he asks them. I mean, he knows. He's got the ledger. How much do you owe? This first guy says, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. It's like three, wages, three years worth of wages. I mean, this guy owes a significant amount of money. He says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Take your bill, sit down quickly. Again, he's very decisive. He knows what he's got to do. He knows what his future is, and he doesn't have a lot of time. Sit down quickly, and then make it 450. Wow, okay, good. Verse 7, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. This is like eight to ten years worth of wages. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. All right, what's this guy doing? He's ripping off his master, but what's going to be the outcome? Yeah, goodwill from all the people that he's doing this to. The guy's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that all of these people treat me well when I'm done. I'm going to give them some significant incentive. And here's what the master does, which at first seems a little strange. The master commended the dishonest manager, which seems a little weird because, I mean, he just got ripped off a lot. And yet, he's commending him. Why? Because he acted shrewdly. It's because, so how many of you have seen Ocean's Eleven? All right. It's incredible what they do. It is so fun to watch that movie. I would never, I don't hope I would never, commend robbery. Like thieves. Like, yeah, I'm so glad you did that. That's awesome. I wish I could be a thief too. That's what I really want to do. 
But I cannot help but go, what they pulled off was incredible. You think of art heists through the years. You think of these things that, like, you don't want to say, I'm glad what you did necessarily, but you can go, that is incredible. That was smart. Man, I wish I'd have thought of that. Oh, again, where I am. No, I don't. That's what the manager's doing. The boss is doing. He's saying of the manager, that was shrewd. That was clever. That was wise. Even if you did steal from me. So that's, that's the parable. <laughs> um, what do we learn from this parable? I mean, is Jesus saying, okay, now everybody, just go rip people off shrewdly. Right? As long as you're shrewd about it, it's okay. As long as you're clever, um, that's good. Like, what is he doing with this whole thing? And here's the interesting thing to me. So I have seen, we have all these beautiful stained glass windows. I have seen stained glass windows or paintings, murals of like the prodigal son. You know, the dad who is waiting for his son to come back and he's running through the fields towards him. And um, I've seen like all of these beautiful things. You know what I've never seen? I've never seen a painting of a seedy guy who's slyly leaning over to someone else and going, fudge the numbers. <laughs> um, I don't know, Joe, can we make one of those for the children's area? <laughs> it's a weird parable. Like, what is it getting at? The principle of the parable comes in the second half of the verse that we stopped in. So look back at your text. Verse 8, that second sentence. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Here's the principle and the problem. It's like Jesus says, I need to get your attention. I need you to hear this. So I'm going to give you this kind of bizarre parable that's going to make you go, what? That's a weird thing. Is like he a hero? Is this manager like the guy we're supposed to emulate or what? And then he gives this little twist. The people of the world are wiser, are shrewder at dealing with their stuff than are the children of light. Restated a different way. Here's what is going on with this manager. This manager sees his future. He understands what's going to happen. But here's the important part. He acts as if that future is real. He takes action in light of it. We do this all the time. We are slowly, although I feel like the weather keeps cheating us, moving towards fall, and then we're moving towards what? Winter. And when I got here, and we kept talking about how amazing the summer was, what did everybody say to us? Wait till winter. And then last winter was, I don't know, according to many people, mild. It wasn't for us. (laughs) Um, So I don't know what this winter is going to be like. But here's what I know. I know it's coming. And so I was at Costco. Guess what? Costco knows it's coming too. Do you know what you can get right now at Costco? Christmas trees. (laughs) Christmas trees and snowmen. I mean, all this stuff already. Like, we're in September. But Costco's ready. Like, they are ready for what is coming. Because what do they all know? We love Christmas. And we're going to buy this stuff. So it's already out. The other thing is out, as somebody said, is gloves. Guess what I bought? 
gloves. Because last year I bought gloves for everybody, and they have the, the like mild, and then better, and then best. And I bought the in-between because they looked comfortable. But they don't work when it's negative 30. <laughs> like you might as well not be wearing gloves. So I bought the best for everybody in the family. These even have the little pocket where you can get the warmer and put the warmer in there. I mean, we are ready. But that is the point that Jesus is making. The people of the world are much better at looking at their future and taking action in light of it than are the people of light. What does he mean by that? He means this, and the rest of the parable is going to be about it. Our future is eternity. Our future is not where we are right now. It's not this sliver of time. And really, it is a sliver of time. Whether you live 20, 50, or 100 years, if you want to compare that to eternity, it is a drop in the bucket. And he says, that's where we're going. We're going into eternity. Does that future, that inevitable future, actually impact what you are doing right now? So, and think of it like this. So after 9-11, what happened at airports? Massive security upgrade, right? TSA. Like all of a sudden, you cannot get on that plane until you get everything checked and take your shoes off and take your coat off and bring your laptop. I mean, all of this stuff. Um, back when I worked at TCA, which is a, a Trinity Christian Academy in Addison, Texas, um, every year there was a, like I think it was five days we took seniors to Colorado for a retreat. And as the Bible teachers, we got to go, especially if you were the senior Bible teacher like me because it was all your students going. Well, this year I went, and then Hank, Hank at the time was probably around 60. He was the junior Bible teacher, and he had been there since before the school even started. The guy was a fixture at TCA. We went on this trip, and... We get to security, and we go through all the security, and his teachers were standing around in a circle talking. And all of a sudden, Hank, who has reached into his pocket, his eyes get really big. And he starts fiddling around, and he pulls out his hand, and he, he's got it like this, so you can't see what's in his hand. And he puts it out for everybody to see, and he opens it up. And there's a large pocket knife, and his eyes get really big. And he's like, oh, why did they let this through? <laughs> he was a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and he, you just see it. He's like, oh. And then he puts it back in his pocket. <laughs> Nobody else was getting that stuff through. I mean, when you go through security, they're checking everything. It is really tough to get something through. But occasionally something will get through. But here's what I will tell you. There is a TCA between here and eternity. The eternal TCA, TCA, TSA. <laughs> the eternal TSA. There's way too many letters. There is nothing physical in this life that is passing to the next. I don't care how rich you are what you own, what is super valuable, what object that is just means everything to you. 
It is not passing through that eternal TSA. It is not going into eternity. One thing goes into eternity. People. That's it. The only impact we can make that actually passes into eternity is people. That's what we have. And because of that, Jesus says this. Look back at the parable. Verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If, I have not been, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, he's talking in a lot of symbols here. Here's the basic idea. God has entrusted you with resources. What are you doing with them? What are you doing with whatever resources you have? Specifically your money, but also your time, your intellect, your talents, your work. God has entrusted you with resources in your life. What are you doing with them? Now, in the parable, what the dishonest manager does is he earns friends. He goes to somebody and says, I'm going to make your debt a lot less so that when it comes to it, you're going to be like, hey, come into my house. I mean, you saved me years worth of wages. Jesus uses the same language, but the idea is different. The idea is not let me go use my funds to buy off some friends. I'm lonely. Nobody likes me. How about if I pay you some money? Now you'd be my friend. Can we go out and get a drink together? Um, That is not what he's getting at. God has entrusted you. By the way, when he says at the end about property, if you can't use the resources that you've been given that belong to someone else, do you know everything you own belongs to God? Your money, your house, your car, your job, your life, it all belongs to him. He gave it to you. You don't get to hold on to it. If he can't trust you with that, what can he trust you with? But here's the flip side. If he can trust you with it, if he can trust you to use what he's given for the sake of the kingdom, people, eternity, he'll entrust you with more. If you are one of the ones that says, I'm going to use what God has given me to help somebody else, to be with them when they're suffering, to pray with them, to give them funds when they need it, to share Christ with them. When I use what God has given me for others, for the kingdom, what I'm doing is I'm living in light of that inevitable eternity that is coming. I'm saying, if I make a difference, so if you guys are going to sit here each Sunday, I'm just going to keep using James as my example because he's here. If I make a difference for the kingdom in his life, that goes into eternity. If I make a difference in Korah's life for the kingdom, 
that goes into eternity. My awesome 2022 Sienna hybrid van is not, no matter how sexy it is. And for a van, it is. You should see it. But it's not going into eternity. What are you doing in light of eternity? And he makes this point at the end. And I made this point maybe two months ago in a different way. Verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Now, hear the language. Masters. No one can have their life controlled by two distinct things. Can you have two bosses? Sure. I could have a boss at this job and a boss at that job. You cannot have two masters. You cannot have two entities that both control your life or that you submit yourself to. Why? Because sometimes they're in conflict. And look at it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. At the root of our possessions is often money. At the root of some of our struggles is money. He said, you're going to serve one or the other. You cannot serve them both. I'll give you a neat image. So if you've had kids, at some point you help teach those kids to walk. Maybe if you don't have kids, you help teach, you know, and maybe one of your siblings' kids. Or maybe you work at a, a school and you've helped kids learn to walk. And it is adorable to watch them start to get it. It's so cute as they begin to glide along a sofa and you're like, yay, look at them go. You know, and at some point they take some of those steps and they're kind of wobbly. And many years ago, my 11-year-old was learning to walk. And we lived across the street from a lake. And the lake had an island in the middle of it. And there was a bridge that went over to the island and then another bridge that went over to the other side again. And as he was learning to walk, he would try to walk on different surfaces. Like if you were on a curb, he'd want to walk one foot on the curb and one foot on the street. He just found it very interesting. But when you went to this bridge, as you began walking up the bridge, the sides sloped down before you got to the bridge. You're going up the hill to get onto the bridge. It sloped down. The path you're on was made out of paver stones. The slope was dirt. Here's what he would do. He would put one foot on the paver stone and one foot on the slope. Now remember, he's barely walking. And he would start to walk. And inevitably, what would he do? He would start going down the hill. (laughs) There's no way he could control that. And I would say, come on, I'd try to take his hand. And he would push it away because he liked to do it on his own. And he would want to start again. And he'd start going up that hill. And again, it would just slide off down into the dirt. And I'd go, dude, pick one. (laughs) Like, you can't walk on both of these things. Because you will inevitably serve one. And unfortunately, it probably won't be the one you want to serve. He needed to choose to walk on those pavers. If you do not choose God as your master, the default will be money. It will be sin. 
It will be all the things you wish you weren't doing. You will fall down the path. And the message of this entire parable, live today as if eternity is inevitable, because it is. Live right now as if eternity is inevitable. And what that means is no possessions are going in, just people. So if we believe that, we need to pour into people. We need to use our resources to pour into other people. Does it mean you can't have anything fancy? Of course not. I mean, we just read the thing with Zacchaeus the tax collector. Jesus didn't say give everything away. He gave half of his stuff away and Jesus is like, salvation has come to this home. You can have your own sexy 2022 Sienna van if you want to. But if you are spending all of your resources on you and your possessions, on your reputation, none of that is going into eternity. Live today as if eternity is inevitable. Now, I started this whole thing by talking about a scam. Here's the scam. Too many believers all around the world are living as if only today matters. They are living as if only this life matters. They would never say that. Of course I'm going to heaven. Of course I'm looking forward to being with the Lord. And yet, if we took stock of our lives, are we pouring everything into now, into us, into our possessions? Because if we are, we are throwing far more away than all of these people that are being scammed by the 419 Nigerian scam. Because we're losing out for eternity. We have the opportunity to make a difference in what truly matters. Will we do it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to embrace, understand, feel, know how real eternity is that our lives would reflect the inevitability of where we are going. Lord, help us to make wise, shrewd, decisive choices with all the resources you have given us to make a difference in the lives of people and ultimately in what eternity will be. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.